0: Okay, glad to have you here today, big day. Um, I want to share with you this morning one of my favorite stories from the New Testament. We've been reading through the New Testament. I'm going to be in the Gospel of Mark. Mark's, um, his, his eyewitness account of Jesus, and we're going to look at a story. And I'm going to ask you guys to stand and read this with me. If you're here visiting and, like, you've never been to our church before, I know what it feels like. I didn't grow up in church. So when you go to a new place, it's like, do I stand, do I sit? In fact, yesterday I was in a place where half the time I didn't know if I should be sitting or standing, so I know the feeling. But we're just, I'd invite you to read this with me. It's gonna be on the screen. And then we'll talk about the text. So please read with me. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man? Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So we said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out. In full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. And this is the word of the Lord, and you may be seated. Again, this this is one of my favorite stories of Jesus, and I could do a lot with this text, but there's one particular thing that I really want to highlight um, to you this morning. And it's that when he, when they bring this man to Jesus, and I don't know if you know what, or have seen pictures, but their houses were pretty rectangular, kind of made of clay, and there would have been a staircase on the outside to go up. They would have done a lot of activity up on the roof. They took the man up there because the house was full of people listening to Jesus, dug, literally dug a hole through the roof to lower the man. And it says in the text in verse 5 that when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. And now some of the teachers of the law, so some of the religious leaders, they're sitting there and they're thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. To blaspheme is to claim something only God could do as a person, as a human. He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Um, I don't know, how many of you have seen The, the Chosen? It's a series that's, on, that's online. You can watch The Life of Jesus. I'm actually going to reference it a little bit later. Um, they just dropped the trailer for season two Wednesday. Tonight is the first episode of season two. But they were showing an encounter with Jesus with the religious leaders, and they say something like this, like, who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus says, good point, with a wry smile, like, you're right. Only God can do that. So who can forgive sins? And then Jesus says this, which is easier to say? What's easier to say to this paralyzed man? And he gives them two options. To say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. And I want to, to give you a minute to, to think what you think the answer to that question is. So tell me, what is the easier thing to say? I just want you to think for a minute. What is the easiest thing for a person in this situation to say? And I mean, I'm going to ask you to raise your hands and commit, which I know is dangerous because you might have the wrong answer. Um, But I want you to be really careful because a lot of times the first thing that people, that comes to their mind uh, isn't the right thing. If you think about it long enough, I think it will kind of make itself um, easy to see, I hope. Which now nobody's going to want to raise their hands after I said that, the right answer. But I just want you to think for a minute, which of these is easier for a person to say? How many of you think it's easier to say your sins are forgiven? Raise your hand if you're brave enough. And how many of you think it's easier to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? Okay, somebody's keeping track of that back there so we can reward you accordingly. Now, let me, let me uh, tell you which one is easier to say by just giving you an example, if you don't mind. Let's say I were to decide next week to go to Kansas City to a hair restoration clinic. I don't know why I would go to one of those places. But let's say, let's say I were to go in there, and I were to walk in, and there were 20 men sitting around on chairs waiting to go back to have the procedure done. And let's say I walked in. So let me give you two scenarios. I walk in like with some religious garment on, some robe or something, and I went up to each man that was in there, and I laid my hand on their head, and I said, your sins are forgiven, son, and your sins are forgiven. And I did that to everybody, and I walked out. Uh, What do you think most people would think of that? Like, this guy's crazy, right? This guy must be nuts. But who knows? There might be a person who might think, I don't know, maybe he really did that. Maybe he really has that power and ability, and I just don't know. Um, Because for me to just go in and say, your sins are forgiven, that's easy to do. What, do you think I would ever walk into a hair restoration clinic and walk up to each person and say, right now, your hair is fully restored. You can go home and your hair is fully restored, you can go home. And if I did that to all 20 men, do you think I would do that kind of thing? (laughs) Never, right? Why? Because all they have to do is take a mirror and hold it up and look to see if what I said was true. Because to say your sins are forgiven is something that's purely subjective. It's something that you say, but nobody really knows. Is there reality behind that? Were my sins forgiven? Were they not? And it's easy to say something subjective. That's easy to say. But if I were to say your hair is fully restored... That's something that I'm not going to say because that's hard to say because the reason is, is if it doesn't happen, I'm proven to be false, right? Everybody knows that I'm a fraud. So it's easy to say something subjective that nobody can prove or disprove. Nobody says things if it can be proven true and if you don't really have the ability to do it. And then Jesus says a very profound thing, I think. But I want you to know. I want you to know. Several English translations say, I want to prove to you I want to prove to you that the Son of Man has authority. Remember that word. We're going to come back to it. The Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. I want you to know. I want to prove to you that the subjective thing I said that nobody can prove, I'm going to do the thing that can be proven so you know the other one is true. And so he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. And remember, this is an eyewitness testimony. This amazed everyone, and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this before. We've never seen anything like this before. And what I love about this story, and what I love about Jesus, is Jesus is not simply content to just say things that nobody can really know if they're true or not, but he's willing to give evidence of the reality of the thing that he is saying. And the reason I appreciate that so much is it was extremely important to me in my own spiritual journey. Um, As you heard me say earlier, I grew up in a home with no faith, and I was a little bit of a skeptical kind of guy. And I needed, I needed some evidence if I was going to believe. I needed like what Jesus is offering, some proof of these subjective things that you find in the Bible. And so as I was kind of on my journey, the thing about religion that to me was so frustrating. Is if you take most religious texts and read them, it's it's a lot of philosophical stuff. And the thing, the problem with me, the thing that frustrated me is, is there was no way for me to know if that was true. One book says this about God, another book says this about God and says this about God, and I had no way to know like what's true. They all are saying different things. And really, the thing I was most interested in was reality. I wanted to know what is reality. Is there a God? Number one, and if there is, what's he like, and who is he? That's all I was interested in was reality. So when I finally came to the Bible. Yeah, so here's here's a religion, right? Religion always follows into that subject of these philosophical statements. When I came to the Bible, I was shocked to find, because I didn't grow up with it, that the Bible was actually primarily history. 66% of the Bible is historical narrative. It's not primarily philosophical sayings, it's primarily history. And what that means is the Bible is primarily the story of God's interaction with the world and humanity. It is chiefly history. And if you know CSI, how many CSI fans here? I'm actually not a very big one, but I love this statement. The first law of forensic science is this, that every single point of contact leaves a trace. Every single point of contact leaves a trace. And so if the Bible is primarily a book of history, that means that if the Bible is true, if it is true, and if it's history, then God has left his fingerprints, he's left traces wherever there was contact, objective, verifiable evidence in the annals of history is proof of his activity. Another way to put this is to say that God has intentionally left his footprints in the sands of time. And as I came to the Bible, I saw it really was, it spoke to You know, religion, philosophy, it had a lot of that stuff. But it was primarily, again, that history, which put it in that objective category, which to me was really significant. That was the emphasis of it. And what that did for me is that's the thing, the history is what gave me the evidence for the subjective stuff I couldn't dig into, or I couldn't test that kind of stuff. So that I learned that if I could, if the Bible says that God did this particular thing in this particular place on this particular date with those particular people over and over again in history. And by doing it in history, what that meant is that I could dig into the history and the archaeology and ask the question, is there evidence that those things really happened? And if, as I found, there continued to be time and time again evidence for the miraculous activity of God in history, if the objective proved to me continually true, what that meant was is I could trust the subjective things it said that I couldn't test and put to the test. Does that make sense? So that objective evidence of the Bible is what gave me the foundation for for believing it and committing my life to Jesus. Because every single point of contact leaves a trace. So, what's that have to do with Jesus? What's that all have to do with Jesus? What's that have to do, not Jesus, but what's that have to do with Easter? And what's that have to do with the resurrection? And I would say it has everything to do with Easter and the resurrection. There were two times that Jesus was asked by the religious leaders to give some kind of evidence for everything he was claiming. They wanted evidence for everything he was claiming. Once in the book of John, early in his ministry, once in Matthew, in about the middle of his ministry. And both times, he gave one piece of evidence for everything that he said. So in John 2, it says the Jews responded to him. What miraculous sign can you show to prove your authority? There's that word again. Because he said, I will show you, I will prove that I have the authority to forgive sins. What can you show us to prove your authority to do all of this? And then in Matthew 12, in his eyewitness account, he records the time that Pharisees and teachers of law came and said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. So both times they're asking for a sign. And here's Jesus' response. In John, Jesus answered them, If you destroy this temple, you destroy this temple, I will raise it again in three days. The temple he had spoken of was his body. And in Matthew 12, to those religious leaders, when they asked him for a sign, the first thing he said was, is he said to those that are hostile skeptics who really aren't going to believe anything, he said, I'm not going to give a sign for every time I do something to people that are hostile skeptics. But he then said, none will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So Jesus offered as evidence... Of everything that he claimed and everything that he said, of all the authority that he claimed, he offered the evidence that he had told several times, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to be put on trial, I'm going to be beaten, and I'm going to be executed on a cross, but three days later, I will rise from the dead. And you can stake everything I say and everything I do on that one fact, that when that happens, that proves everything that I've said and everything I've done. So, did those religious leaders pay attention to him? Did they pay attention? Well, if we get to the end of Matthew's eyewitness account, here's what he says. This is right after Jesus has died on the cross. So, in Matthew 27, 57, as the evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and he placed it, In his own tomb, new tomb, that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests, the Pharisees, so those religious leaders, they went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said these very words, after three days, I will rise again. They remembered that sign. So give the order for the tomb to, me be, to be made secure until the third day. So can we shut that thing up and see if we can keep this from happening? I don't know what they were thinking. But could they stop the thing that Jesus is doing from happening? Could they keep him from rising from the dead? In the next chapter in Matthew's account, it says that after the Sabbath, after Saturday, at dawn on the very first day of the week, on Easter Sunday, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. And there you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy. Wouldn't that be your reaction? Afraid of what just happened, but full of joy, this mixture of these things. They ran to tell his disciples and suddenly Jesus met them. Jesus, the risen Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, which means they fell down on their faces at his feet. They clasped his feet in worship. And they worshiped him. In John's gospel, when Thomas, who had doubted that Jesus had appeared, that when he showed himself to Jesus, Jesus said, touch the wounds in my hands, come and see that it is I, that I have risen, and Thomas's response is, my Lord and my God. It's a worship, a response of worship. That's the natural response. So I want to tell you this morning, he is risen. He is risen indeed. Not only, I mean, is he risen, but he appeared to many in Jerusalem those first days, we know of a minimum of 515 people, a minimum, that he appeared to. So many and so much so that we're told in Acts 6:7 that a large number of priests of the religious leaders believed in him. They believed in him. They had heard, when they had asked, show us a sign, they had heard the sign. And after his resurrection, a large number of them believed in him. And I just want you to know that the resurrection of Jesus as a historical event... A historical event is the centerpiece of our faith. Our faith, all of it, it rises or it falls on this one event, the resurrection of Jesus. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that if Jesus has not been raised from the dead, our teaching is useless, and so is your faith. If Jesus has not been raised, your faith is worthless. But I want you to know today that he has been raised, he has been raised. He has been raised. There is compelling evidence in history. He has left fingerprints and traces of it. And I don't have time this morning to go through it. At the end, I'm going to point you to a couple of resources in relation to that. But I want you to know, if he has been raised, it changes everything. Everything. And it became the reason. It gave me good reason to believe that everything Jesus said. So, reason to believe everything he said and every claim, everything he claimed because of the historicity of his resurrection. It gives me good reason to believe the whole arc, the story of the whole Bible. Because the Bible is one unified story that points to Jesus. And all through his life, Jesus kept talking about how he was the fulfillment of this whole story. That it all pointed to him. It was all leading to him. So it gives me good reason to believe that whole story. It gives me good reason to believe that Jesus is the promised one. The one who would come to restore all things. It gives me reason to believe that Jesus truly did come to seek and to save the lost, that that's a reality, that he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The resurrection gives me reason to believe that. It gives me reason to believe, according to Second Corinthians 5, 21, that he who knew no sin, he became a sin offering for me so that he could be, so that I, we, could be made right with God. And as Paul says in Romans 4.25, it is the resurrection because of that and the evidence. It gives me good reason to believe that he was delivered over to death for our sins and he was raised to life for our justification. And his resurrection gives me reason to believe that he is Lord of all and that his kingdom will never end. Because of his death and resurrection, his death for my sin, his resurrection in history, I want you to know everything has changed, everything, everything. Now here's what I've learned over the years. If you're not interested in confessing that root problem there that he was given over to death for our sins, if you're not interested in admitting your sin and talking about your sin and facing your sin, if you're not interested in what the Bible says is the root problem, which is the darkness and the evil in my own heart, in the depths of my own heart, if you're not willing to confront that reality of Jeremiah 17, 9, that says that the human heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked, who can understand it? That if if you're not willing to face that reality, I want to tell you, it doesn't matter how much evidence I could show you about the resurrection, you're not going to accept it because of what it says about you and what it says about me. I found this true with somebody that I was very close to. And when I was doing this searching and doing a lot of reading and Digging into the evidence, I approached this person who was a professor in history, who I knew very well, and I said, I've been looking into this, and I said, I want to know your opinion as a historian. Did Jesus rise from the dead? From the evidence? And he said, I want to tell you, most historians believe the probability is, is that Jesus rose from the dead. That's what the evidence points to. And I was shocked that he said that, because he had never, he had never, like, Fallen at Jesus' feet in worship. And I'm like, how can you, like, I said, that's where I'm at. And I said, I mean, the response has to be I give my life to him because he's, everything he said is true. And I said, why would you not do that? And he said, because right now I don't want somebody over me that's a boss telling me what to do. I have my own life to live, my own things I want to do, and I'm not interested in a Lord. I want to be Lord, essentially. And that's when I learned that just evidence by itself um, won't convince anybody but I do want you to know there is enough evidence that, for the seeking heart that I think it will be proven true to you. So if you're interested in him, if you're intrigued by this resurrection from the dead, if you're intrigued by this idea that our creator became God in human flesh, died for my sin to make me right with himself, that he lived the life I should have lived, he died the death I should have lived. If you're interested in that, um, I want to invite you to consider it. Because he promises not only forgiveness of sin, but he promises life, eternal life. Paul calls it true life. Jesus himself calls it life to the fullest. Not only eternal life, but the life in the here and now, a life to the fullest. So if you don't know him and you're curious, um, I want to have you consider a few things. Number one, if you have not seen the chosen, it's really powerful portrayal of Jesus. Um, came out last year around Easter. I I know a lot of people who downloaded it and watched or watched it um, during COVID, but it's just, it's a free app on your phone. They, there's no money, nothing involved. They're not interested in money. They're just trying to get the story of Jesus out. And I find their storytelling very compelling. I've seen dozens of movies of Jesus and he's always this super stoic, serious guy who like doesn't know how to smile, right? He'll, 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 he'll heal somebody. He'll raise a widow's son from the dead and everybody's cheering and he's just standing there like, you know, uh, like kind of like a robot in most movies. I love this Jesus because I feel like they've so captured his heart and what it was like to really see him. So if you've not downloaded that, I challenge you to download it and watch it. Secondly, if you're really curious about this, I've got a couple of resources at the back. I have copies of Gospel of Mark. It is Mark's recording of Peter's eyewitness account of everything he's, of things he saw Jesus do. Um, if you want to read about his life, I challenge you to pick one of those up on the way out. There's also a book back there called Why Easter? That again, if you're curious, want to know some of the evidence, what, what we can learn about Jesus, to grab one of those. If you are online and you're like, I can't come get one of those, if you will click on, if you'll get on 12thavenue.org backslash learn more, I will personally mail you both of those booklets. Or if you have any questions, anybody, on, online, if any of you here after you leave, you're like, I wanna, I'd like to meet and talk, you can get on that and click and um, I would be more than happy to talk to you. Also on this site, 12thav.org.learnmore, we put a video up that Jordan and I made last year that talks about some of the evidence for the resurrection, some of the historical evidence. So if you're wanting to see that and be like, I want to dig into that, then if you get on that site, you can do that. Maybe, who knows, there's somebody here today who's ready to accept him. You're to the point, like, I've, I've been considering him, I've been drawn to him, and it's time for me to accept him as my Lord and my Savior. I want that relationship with him. And if that's you, I just invite you to come up today and talk with me. Most every week, somebody will come up and talk with me. And if that's you, and you're interested, if you have questions, don't be afraid while people are milling around just to, to make your way up here, and I'd love to have a conversation. Give the church a call, um, anything. Okay, one more thing. This story in Jesus. So for me and for my generation, like knowing that something was true was really, really important. Like, is the New Testament reliable? Did this really happen in history? That was really important for my generation. For my generation, it was really important for me and my kind of skeptic's heart. And so digging into the truth of that was very significant and was a huge part of me coming to Jesus. And I think truth's important to all of us, but I also know... Uh, there's a lot of research out that younger people are not quite so interested in, is it true? The questions they're asking more is, is it good and is it beautiful? Because I think we all know somebody who speaks a lot of truth, or they claim to, right? But the way they do it is not very good and it's not very beautiful. Do you anybody, anybody know like, have you ever met anybody like that? that? That it's all about truth, but it's like, man, that's not very good and beautiful. All the great philosophers back to Aristotle have always said, goodness, beauty, and truth go together. And where you find one, you'll find the others. So everywhere, anywhere you find truth, it'll be good and beautiful. And anywhere you find beauty, it'll be good and true. And anywhere you find goodness, it'll be true and beautiful. And I want to tell you, Jesus is not only truth and the embodiment of truth. I mean, He said, "I am the way, I am the truth, I'm the life." Nobody comes to the Father but through me. Not only is He the embodiment of truth, but He is the embodiment of goodness, and He's the embodiment. A beauty and in him those three things come together in a profound way in one person one human being God in flesh in a way they've never come together he was the most fully human person that ever lived and so I want to challenge you he's just not it's not that he's true but he is good and beautiful and so I want to end by going back to this story but I want you to watch it this time and I'm going to show you a clip from The Chosen and I want you to take it in not just the truth of Jesus but how good and beautiful he is. And then we're going to ask you to stand and worship our risen Lord together. And if it
1: were nighttime, Zebedee wouldn't light his lamp and put it under a basket. He'd put it on the stand where it could light us all. Jesus of Nazareth! I saw what you did to the leper on the road this morning. My friend has been paralyzed since childhood. He has no hope but you. Please, do for him what you did for the leper. That's a rope. Put it back, man. You are willing, Rabbi. to you. By whom do you teach? Certainly not the authority of any rabbi from Nazareth. Where did you study? Your faith is beautiful. Son, take heart. Your sins are forgiven. Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Right. But I ask you, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven, or rise up and walk? It's easy to say anything, no? But to show you so that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority on Earth to forgive sins. Hebrews twelve twenty
2: eight. we are receiving a kingdom that can't be shaken, so let us be thankful.
0: Then we can worship God in a way that pleases him. We will worship him with reverence and awe.
2: Will you stand and worship out of thankful hearts for what he has done for us?
1: we worship you, we praise you, we honor you, you are alive, you are risen, you have overcome and you can overcome, you can help us overcome, you can resurrect us from the dead, we praise you, we honor you, you are worthy.
0: Yeah, Father, I thank you. That for a skeptic like me, you left traces of evidence of the reality of this. And I thank you for that. I thank you more, though, for sending your son. And that he did live the life I should have lived. He died the death I should have died. Took my sin upon himself so I could be made right with you. Thank you for the new life that I've had in you since I've come to him. And bowed my knee to him and worshipped him. Just for the, the way you've been more and more giving me a taste of that fullness of life thank you that he is alive we pray in the name of jesus the risen one amen he is risen he is alive so 12th as always you are sent we have good news to tell